The Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network is brought to you by Moultrie Mobile. Transform the way you hunt with the all-new base cellular trail camera connected by the Moultrie Mobile app. The base combines a best-in-class image sensor with an all-new back-end platform to deliver the image quality and reliability every hunter expects. Moultrie Mobile's Industry Best app gives you complete control over your camera settings, up-to-the-minute updates from the field, and other interactive scouting tools on your smartphone or computer. Features like weather forecast, advanced species recognition, interactive maps, activity charting, and a whole lot more. All free with one of Moultrie Mobile's affordable subscription data plans. For more information and to make your purchase, visit www.moultriemobile.com. The Houndsman XP podcast is fueled by Joy Dog Food. Joy Dog Food has a rich tradition of supporting the Houndsmen of America. Founded in 1945, Joy is proud of its history and the relationship it has built with the American Houndsmen. And in 76 years, there's never been a recall. Made with 100% American-made high-quality ingredients, Joy Dog Food has one of the highest calorie-dense formulas on the market. For 76 years, this Made in America product has kept hunting dogs in the field day after day, season after season. And when we say Made in America, Joy has a long track record of fighting for American freedoms by being on the front lines against the animal rights movement and their extremist tactics. Joy will fuel your hounds and fight for your freedoms, fueled by Joy. is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in here. The original podcast for the complete Houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Get up there! Yeah! 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 Good boy! Good boy, Ranger! Uniting houndsmen across the globe, from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many days? How many days a week do you spend in As much as I can, to be honest with you. Any time that I get, I'm I'm out there. Join us for every heart pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else. I'm gonna hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. <laughs> You are listening to The Truth on the Houndsman XP Podcast Network, and I am not your regular host. Josh claims to have COVID. I saw him on Monday, and uh, I really just think he's exhausted. I think he's exhausted from trying to come up with a strategy for our showdown on February 16th, where we are going to debate the topic of competition coon hounds versus big game hounds. Josh was bold enough to make the statement that 
coonhounds that are competing in the big money hunts are the pinnacle of what we can do with the hound. And we are going to hash that out live on Crowdcast on February 16th. You can go to Houndsman XP Podcast Group or Houndsman XP Podcast, either one on Facebook. You have to pre-register for this event so that uh, you can get the link of where we're going to do this at. But it's real easy. Seth has it all laid out with step-by-step instructions of how to register and where we're going to be right there on our Facebook group and our Facebook page. So don't miss that. But let's talk about this episode. We are going to talk about aggression. And we're going to break that down. I'm joined by Heath Hyatt. And uh, this whole thing came out of a message that I got a week and a half, two weeks ago about a dog's behavior and being aggressive. And I thought, man, this is a great podcast topic. But I needed some backup. So I went and recruited my good buddy, Heath Hyatt who is a master trainer of police canines and working dogs. And we dive deep into dog psychology, aggression, the different types of aggression, and ways that we as houndsmen can avoid it. We're going to talk about the main areas that uh, that really affects us as houndsmen and boil it down to a few types of aggression that pertain particularly to these problems. This is a hot one. I don't want to wait any longer. Let's get to it. Southern Hound Hunting Magazine is the most comprehensive magazine that represents your lifestyle as a houndsman. If you can hunt it with a hound, it is being covered in the pages of Southern Hound Hunting Magazine. You also get an in-depth look at the men and women who are engaged in this lifestyle, living it every day to the fullest. From the Rocky Mountains to the Southern Swamps and across the ocean with articles about our international houndsmen and what they're chasing across the pond. Go to southernhoundhunting.com, get your subscription for $15 a year. Southern Hound Hunting Magazine, promoting the fair chase experience. All right, so Heath, a couple weeks ago, I got a message from uh, a houndsman, and he had some issues with aggression in a hound, and... I did answer him. I went ahead and answered him and and addressed it with this guy. But as I got thinking about it, man, there's so much information out there about aggression and even misinformation out there about aggression. And I thought, who could I have on to really boil this down? And I thought, Heath is the guy. I mean, you train dogs that you, you try to bring aggression out in them, you know, through your, through your everyday day job. And you have all that training in dog psychology and master trainer and all that, all that cool stuff that's going to help us out with this. Yeah. I mean, we, we definitely try to channel the aggression into what we're the purpose that we're using it for. And of course that for us, that is to apprehend a suspect and you're taking a animal that we've domesticated over the thousands of years. And now you're telling him, you know, it's okay to bite a person. But there are dogs we see that have natural aggression and they have the dominance. We look at dominance aggression. That's something that I deal with a lot where the dog is actually aggressive towards humans. Um, Not so much. Um, It could be, well, dominance could be dog aggression, other animal aggression. But then I have to break it down and say, is it really aggression or is they into the prey drive? Is their prey drive so high Mm -hmm. that they're not capping it? 
But Dominus. I think the cool the cool thing about what you do though is you take that dog that's already. I mean, you take your, you take Pinot, you know, Belgian Dutch cross. Yep. You know, you've said it before. You don't. He knows how to bite. Yeah. So you've taken you've taken a dog that's already hardwired and bred for that purpose. He's been tested in Europe, all that stuff, and we'll talk about all that. But now you're even dialing that back. And when we look at our hounds, most hounds are not genetically hardwired to be aggressive. Is that fair? Yes. It, most of the time, we're doing we're conditioning. We're and just mm-hmm. like our police dogs, you know, I conditioned Pino. Um, you know, he was raised as a from a puppy. Um, and he was learning how to bite and he was learning how to set his grips and that was all done through toys. And as yeah. he, you know, as he growed up and he matured, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that one to two year old, two and a half year old. That's when his testosterone drops and he builds his confidence. And, you know, during training, every fight that he ends, he wins. So in his right. mind, he don't lose. So you can talk about the confidence that this dog's yeah. got, you know, like, you know, man, every time I grab a hold of somebody, it's fun and games because I'm whipping them. Right. But, yes, right. we, we do use that aggression to our advantage. And if the dog don't have the nerve and the, the fight drive that we're looking for, then he doesn't – he's not a good fit for patrol work. He may right. he may be a tracking dog and a narcotics dog, stuff like that. But, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I'm th- in my mind, I'm just thinking if if we can have somebody talk about capping that aggression – at a manageable level in the work you're doing, then this, we ought to be able to shed some light on what aggression really is that we see in our hounds. So what are some of the types of aggression that, that you, that you know of? Cause we can't just say aggression. Right. I mean, aggression gets broke down into, to different um, categories. I mean, we just talked about dominance aggression. That's basically, for everybody listening, that would be if I was talking about dominance aggression, more than likely I'm talking about a dog that is aggressive towards humans. The hound world, we don't see that a whole lot. Um, right. Most of our dogs are pretty pretty chill when it comes to, to humans. You know, you look at p- protectiveness aggression, um, which we'll talk about resource guarding here in a little bit, uh, stress-induced aggressiveness, and then you look at displaced or um, redirected aggression. We'll talk about yeah. that some. Um, social aggression is huge for us, and I don't mean socializing. Yeah. I mean social aggression. Mm-hmm. Um, then you got dog aggressive, and then we'll talk about fear aggression. And fear yeah. aggression is going to roll off your social aggression. Um, and then you have your uh, excessive compulsive. So that would be a dog that's spinning and barking and chasing its tail. Um, a dog that barks. Uh, so much uh, that he can't control himself. I mean that, yeah. even though that's not a part of it, you don't think it's aggression. Um, and then I've seen some of those in our hounds. Yes, and then you, you know the the kennel the kennel pacers the you yeah. know the the you know just the erratic crazy shit grinding. Yep, and pacers. we call it we call it ideologic. When you've got dogs that are just not hardwired right, mm-hmm. and you can have the you know the ideologic. That's kind of a made up term, but. You know, we I've seen a couple of dogs throughout my career in law enforcement that they just not wired right. They're a loose cannon, and they're not to be trusted. So yeah. those dogs are yeah. washed is basically yeah. what happens to them. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's well, a lot of different different types of aggression. Um, but we, we should probably break it down to a couple, 
And for me, looking into the aggression types that we would see as houndsmen. Well, before we get there, before we get there, I want to ask you something. Is aggression, is it a, is it a reaction to uh, behavior? Is it genetic? It, you know, that that is one of the things that, uh, you know, we, we look at and I've seen these conversations spin and over the years, I mean, in the hound hunting community, uh, in our hunting, hunting dogs, a lot of times we just, the easy answer is if they're, if they're aggressive, they're a call. Yeah. I think you've got to look at the severity of aggression and, and most of the time there are genetic issues that can Mm -hmm. come out. Most of the time it's a prior condition that we, as handlers and trainers and dog owners have caused. So the dog is reacting to some type of behavior, just like we said, the social, the fear. The dog mm-hmm. is reacting to that or acting, however you want to however you want to place it. So yeah, I mean basically you're right. I mean the dog's just acting on his natural instincts. And right. all, and just so everybody's clear, all dogs are born with aggression. Just like humans are, you know, if I punch you in the face two or three times, you're going to have your limit in here somewhere. And you're going to say, all right, that's enough. And you're going to act out. And dogs mm-hmm. are the same way. You may never see something out of one of your hounds. And that dog may be eight years old and a little bit older and slower. And a younger dog comes in and does something to him. And all of a sudden that older dog grabs him. He may be at his threshold limit. You may have never right. had an issue out of that dog. But he's had enough at that point and he's like, okay, give me, give me my space. But right. all dogs are born with aggression. When you, when you have puppies, you're going to see the prey, prey drive, the ability to chase. And everybody uh-huh. should be looking at that in a hound because that's part of what we use them for. Uh, <laughs> your defense important. aggression is when they see a, per, per, uh, they perceive a threat and almost all puppies, you know, when they get in that pack, um, you don't be fighting for that pack placement. Mm-hmm. that's something we should probably talk about too is like dogs don't see all relationships as fair you know the dogs are a pack animal and there is a yeah. place within there is a structure within that pack and a lot of people don't really sit back and look at that and the last the aggression that you will see in puppies again and it goes back to the pack is the social aggression mm-hmm. um and we'll you know we can talk about that but the most man i've seen most, litter of pups I, i've seen that in litters of pups you got you got one pup that decides it's not time to take a nap and he's bouncing around and he's he's grabbing another puppy's ear and all of a sudden the other puppy just kind of you know comes alive and 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 puts him down and i've seen the mother the the female of the litter be like hey leave me alone yeah and there is maternal aggression i mean you you know mm-hmm. we had talked about that and i know that you discussed with me what what the guy, the question he had asked you about, you know, the dog was a year and a half old and a female was in heat and another dog and him got in a fight. But, hey, we got to look at that too. You know, dogs' natural instincts to breed. And right. if there's no pack structure. It's one of the mainstays. Yeah, I mean, there's no pack structure established there because, you know, it's just him and another dog. I don't know anything about the him or the other dog, but, you know, when the gyps in heat, you got to kind of walk. You got to walk. I mean, anybody that owns hounds and has has had them, they know that this is probably coming if you got two males loose and a female's in heat. 
Right. And then if she's not right. ready, then her maternal aggression is like, stay away from me. You know, I'm, I'm not, you know, we've all seen dogs that'll put teeth to dogs when you try to breed them. Yep. So that's a maternal yep. aggression that there is. Yep. For sure. For sure. Well, let's, uh, let's break it down to, uh, we'll try to keep this, this, uh, segment of this podcast. We're going to break it down to the, the, main types of aggression aggression that actually affect us as houndsmen. Yeah. So one of the things that we should probably discuss out in the open is there's no definitive answer for this, Chris. When you're looking at when you're looking at aggression itself, there is a thousand different things that can happen. It you know, the environment has something to do with it, the handling has something to do with it. And I've some, seen some of the blogs that you're talking about, and they're just saying, mm-hmm. get rid of the dog, get rid of the dog. This is a curable thing if you want to spend the time doing it. But right. this is not something that is going to be cured in a week. You can't just do it two or three times and, oh, it's fixed. You know, because us as houndsmen, we leave our dogs in our tree, you know, that and this is roughly where we're going. You know, a dog at the tree that's rough and you've got to leave them in there for 30 minutes, an hour. If you're big game hunting, who knows how long. You guys out west right. leave them dogs in them canyons forever. Um, it can be fixed. It is fixable. Now, if it's genetic, if the dog is born genetically predisposed to be mean, then you're probably not going to fix it. But if mm-hmm. it's not, if it's something that we've created, which is a prior conditioning, if you spend the time and take the time and the effort to do it, it could, it's fixable. And then when you ask yourself that question, what's the dog worth to me? Do I want to spend the time on this dog trying to fix it? And if I don't, where do I end up? So, you know, just so everybody has a picture. Yeah, uh, I think we uh, need – I want to give everybody those takeaways, you know, the, give them some takeaways here. But I think you hit on a really good point about uh, the fact that a lot of times these are situations that we caused and um, let's talk about we're going to we're going to talk about things during this podcast to keep you from ever getting there to be able to recognize the different types of aggression and why your dog is reacting to that stuff in the way they are instead of just whitewashing it and saying oh it's genetic he's a call yeah and and you know <laughs> Again, it all goes back as it's something that's been prior conditioned. And mm-hmm. if you're not raising that dog from a puppy at your house, sometimes it'll be hard to tell. Um, right. You know, if we if we look at the pro the uh, if we look at where we have aggression issues at, we can break it down to three individual places, and that would be around food, that would be around the dog box in the box, and then around the tree. That's is that not those where are the we, three big ones for hounds yeah that's where we would that's where we see it at i mean yep. if you've got a dog that's running through your yard and attacking another dog then you've got really big problems you're probably looking mm-hmm. at some of that dominance aggression so the, you know the three places that we would be at would probably be at those three places and if you're um if you're looking at well let's just let's just go to if it's a mature dog, and I don't mean to jump around here, but I just want to put this myth to bed. Okay. If we're talking about a mature dog and you have 
cut or neutered that dog to to break an aggression. You have to take into consideration if the dog is already matured, so let's say he's over two and a half, because dogs mature at different ages, but that's a safe age to say that, okay, you know, his testosterone's dropped, his 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 balls have dropped, and he's there. Yep. He's most of the time already into a place where cutting him is not going to fix the problem. And mm-hmm. I can say that I've done this three times in my my career with dogs, and not police dogs, because we don't cut them normally, but, but hounds. And it, I've been unsuccessful with it. You know, the dogs were three to four years old, and it just it just didn't work. They, it didn't change anything. <laughs> right. Um, but when we look at aggression, aggression is a, a behavior, and we need to change the behavior um, on, on what we're seeing. So that's a myth that I feel is very false. So what you're saying is a lot of times by the time the dog is three or four years old and it reacts to situations like that, taking the testosterone producers out of the situation has nothing to do with it. He was already, you know, he, he's been in a situation where he was feeling threatened. He was, uh, in a situation where he felt fear. And so now every time he's been in, he gets in that situation, he reacts with aggression. It has nothing to do with the testosterone. That's right. Is that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, now if you're, if you're looking at cutting a younger dog, that's six months to 15 months old, you know, Mm -hmm. you give them that, what, 90 day period for the testosterone to, to leave his system. And now you may change some behaviors there. Right. But it's not, I wouldn't do. I wouldn't recommend that as far as for changing um, aggression. I may do yeah. that as far as like we just talked about pacing in the pen, you know, spinning in the pen. You may zap some of the juice out of him where I, ah, you know, I'm not really gonna. That's not you know. You zap it out of him where he's not doing it as bad. But yeah. as far as is is cutting a dog for being ill at the tree or in the box or whatever, I. It's not been successful for me, and I'm sure there's probably maybe a successful story out there or so. But in my experience, it's not it's not the the answer most of the time. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's uh, let's let's talk about. I think you've narrowed this down to three types. Three types of aggression that affect houndsmen. Mm-hmm. So, the first one you had that we we dis- discussed was social social aggression. So social is aggression that? is not we we don't need to look at socializing. That's not exactly what I'm talking about. Um, space is the as a dog's best friend, and when you're crowding the dog's space, you're putting him in a in may you may you may be putting him in a situation that he don't like or he he don't he don't know how to deal with it because of a prior prior incident. Right. And, you know, we can give you several examples of that. Um, so social aggression, basically, let's, let's say social space. Let's just use okay. that, and that'll put the two together. But, you know, social, social aggression usually comes out of um, not given space in a mm-hmm. dog box type. You know, you, you throw right. a hound up in a dog box. So social aggression is something that we deal with. You know, that, that's, I feel like that's one of the things that we would see in our hounds more so than 
that would be one of the top three. Absolutely. Yeah. For the social. Yeah. Yep. So the social social aggression would be uh, a young dog that's just like it's invading another dog's space. Yeah. And yeah. so they're they're that's not okay with with the 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 dog that's going to show the aggression. Well, so you know everybody can visualize this because they've probably done it. You've got an well, you've got an older dog out in the yard. You know, mm-hmm. when I say older, it could be four, five, six, seven, whatever you want it to be. And you've got a, a couple young young puppies, and let's say anywhere from six months to a year old. And, you know, they want to frolic and play and, and and pull ears because they're still trying to establish their place in the pack. And they go up to this older dog, and they're, you know, they're doing this, and that dog will just turn around and snip at them. You know, right. you know just get away from me. You're invading my space, and I don't want to tolerate this. So that's, that is a very small show of aggression. And at that point, it's not something that we even worry about because we, we all kind of see it and go, yeah, okay, you'll leave him alone from now on, won't you? <laughs> you know, yeah. we see that. But we have to understand that the old dog's not at fault for saying, give me my space. The young mm-hmm. dog is pushing boundaries that the old dog's not comfortable with. So yeah. that that's kind of a social aggression you know, that's social aggression example number one. <laughs> like I said, we can do yep. it in the, you know, we can we can move that to the box, you know, too. If- well, there's only so much space in a dog box, though, and sometimes dogs need to. There's an expectation by us as houndsmen to be able to load my dog in a box and have it ride in a civil manner and be a good citizen in that box, right? That's what we expect, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so... Do we talk about this in the fixes here in a minute, or do we do we cover that now? Maybe we'll save that one. Maybe we'll okay. talk about yep. that social aggression and how we avoid that. the the pre, The next one you had was prey prey aggression. Yeah, prey aggression is going to be that natural instinct to chase, and that's how mm-hmm. us as houndsmen are able to catch game and you know tree coons and bear and lions and run down rabbits and you know, hogs and everything else. So that's a natural drive aggression that we have to have in our dogs for them to succeed. Mm -hmm. And the prey aggression, we have to have it, and nobody really thinks a lot about it. But what happens is when that game gets caught, does it turn into a possessiveness aggression? Mm-hmm. So the prey, that's what I was going to ask you. Can we have too much prey aggression? Yeah, but I, th- I feel like that it, it flips. And if you look at the categories of aggression, we could go down a long list. We're not trying to do that, but right. yes, I think it goes from, from, from catching. And yes, you can. If, if I had a police dog and I had to put this in this, the terms of the police dog, cause we don't see this out of hounds, but well, you do see it out of your hounds, I'm sure, because I've had a dog that did this one time. I had a, a a female that I had a litter of puppies, and the puppies were eight weeks old, and I had them out in the barn lot, and she seen those pups and literally went to chase them down. She really? went to chase them down. Now, that would be a prey aggression, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, for me in the police world is I have a dog – loose one of my police dogs shepherd mally dutchy whatever and maddie goes out in the in the yard 
and takes off running to chase a ball and the dog runs her down. Mm -hmm. That's going to be a prey aggression. So we have to have those drives for our dogs to succeed, but most dogs channel them properly. If that's something we don't have to deal with on a lot of, a a lot of bases, but then you go into the possessiveness is after the game's called, it's mine and nobody else is getting it. So I feel like at that point it switches over to uh, possessiveness, which we can go back to the food and resource guarding. And that's what we call it when they have a, uh, um, a possessive aggression is they're guarding a resource, which, you know, we have, we have food. And I know mm-hmm. you and I talked about it this morning and we talked about, you know, little things that correct, you know, correct dogs here and there. And if we take care of some of those small things early on and you understand what's causing it and why it's doing it, then we don't have problems later on in life. But again, you always fall back to dogs have thresholds of what they'll tolerate and what they want. Mm-hmm. Everybody does. We do it. Dogs do it. Everybody has it. So, well, how does me, that the, transfer? The, how does that transfer work? I mean, what what triggers that sort of a transfer from a prey aggression to a possessive aggressive? Well, type the situation, chase. You know, the chase is the prey. The chase. Okay. You know, yep. cess dogs chase the rabbit, and then when they catch it, there's no more chase. So my my prey drive has switched over to kill because that's what they do when they catch. Mm-hmm. You know, we shake it, we shake it, we shake it, and and now another dog comes along and wants to take it from me. No, 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 no. It's mine. I I mm-hmm. ran this down. I called it. This is mine. And is we, that is that some kind of triggered instinct inside them is that a natural trigger type thing when going back to you know food space and reproduction are the are the three things that that drive these drive an animal so is he thinking man my food's being threatened well i i have seen a correlation and i've talked to some other trainers about this because i've had this problem with my hounds with my police dogs, I don't care because I don't feed them with another dog. Right. I don't need to go shoving my hand down in the middle of their food, challenging them to a fight. You know, right. with my hounds, it's different because we do have hounds doubled up sometimes. I, re- mm-hmm. I raise that pack of puppies in a pen together until they're, you know, eight, ten weeks old or whatever. So I've seen a correlation with resource guarding, which means food aggression, the dog that wants to run everybody out of his food, and with possessiveness later on, and whether that be mm-hmm. at the tree or over game, most of the time, if I see it at the food, I know what's coming later on. And I've yeah. got, I've got a window in here that I need to fix that. And I can fix it at the food if I do it early on. But once that dog's matures, and if he's won a fight or two that we don't know about because we're not there, and it took us two hours to walk in there, then. I've got bigger problems to deal with. And there's where we talk about the time consuming. This is going to take a lot of time to work. Right. Right. Yeah. When I look at this possessive deal, the possessive aggressive behavior, there's so many things that we can, we can get a handle on early on. Um, A lot of times though, when you, you travel and you purchase a pup, you don't know how it was handled. You don't know if he's allowed to be the bully. You don't know if he was allowed to be bullied. You don't know what kind of scars he's bringing with him when he comes to you. And 
then then we see problems down the road and we don't understand them a lot of times. So you've said it before. Talk about hand feeding and what that does for a hound. Yeah, and I I do it more with my police dogs, I'll just be honest. If I have a dog, you know, y'all heard me talk about my spook dog, and that's how he got his name because it took me like five days to get my hands on him. But I hand fed him. <laughs> I literally made him, but it wasn't he, – he bit me out of fear. Mm-hmm. And I knew as soon as it happened, I knew exactly – I knew what happened, I knew why it happened, and I knew how to fix it. Like I knew mm-hmm. that, okay, i got to build his trust first. And how I'm going to build his trust is through food. But um, if you're talking about straight-out aggression over the food, it works the same principle. And, and Chris, everything – we have to go back to these are these are – pre these are prior condition now with a puppy not it could be a prior condition and i'll say you know was the food was the dog getting enough food as he was as he was a puppy did he mm-hmm. have to fight for the food was this dog the runt that got ran off and three days he got four or five kibbles of food and then the, the sixth right. day he's like my gosh i'm holding my own i'm eating <laughs> you know we have to we have to look at things like that. and if you don't raise a litter you don't know you don't know right. these things so if I've got a dog that's food aggressive, take the pan out of the situation, okay? Feed the dog, and I don't care what you're feeding. You can, you know, you can, you know, feed from your hand. I don't care what kind of food it is. Some foods are stickier than others. I know some of the foods that I deal with, um, once it, once the dog gets a tongue on him and it gets real sticky, it sticks to your hands, just let them lick it out of your hands. Take, take the equation, the food, this is what I'm mm-hmm. possessive over, take it out of the equation like you eat from dad and there's nobody to fight over because dad's going to give it to you dad's going to give it to you or mom's going to give it to you so that's a very quick start and this may take you a couple of weeks Mm -hmm. and then what you do is you don't flood the dog and you know put the pan back out there and turn the other 10 litter mates with down on top of him because you just overstimulated the dog, and he's going to fall right back to what he's done. He done before is protecting his food. How long should how long when you see aggressive behavior like that, possessive possession? Um, how long should you be feeding that dog by hand? When when do you finally say, "Ma'am, we've been doing this long enough. I'm going to test him with another dog." Again, age age appropriate. You know, if I got a a 10 month old 10 week old puppy do i have a 10 month old puppy do i have a a, three, a, four, a two year old dog i don't know i personally i mean pino eat out of my hand of course we weren't talking about aggression here we were talking about building a bond and doing training but pino eat out of my hand for almost 6 months you know but i i i, I see the benefits of that and i'm willing to put the time into it so sure. for for a puppy and, and I, when I say puppy, I'm going to say eight weeks to 16 weeks because mm-hmm. we know those those weeks between 12 and 16 are the most important. And I can, I can curve some of this behavior because that's all I'm doing is I'm redirecting behavior until what I want from what I don't want. But I'll take that puppy, and I may feed him for that, that, that four-, six-week period with, with hand. If I mm-hmm. see that the puppy is relaxing and – He's not as aggressive, and when I say that, you're looking at his body language. Like when he goes to eat out of your hand, is he literally slamming your hand in the ground to get to it? Um, things like that, I can tell by by 
What does that mean when you see a dog slamming its, you know? When he's driving in hard and stuff, he's still possessive mm-hmm. over it. I yeah. want to be I want to be able to give that dog, you know, a handful of food and then make him get you get again you're getting into some training techniques and philosophies, but I want to be able to give that dog a handful of food, reach down in the bucket, pull it out. Okay, give him another handful of food without him trying to run over top of me. When you yeah. can do that, then you're ready probably to move to the next stage. If you've not mm-hmm. completed that stage of training, then if you're moving on, you're just shortcutting the process, and we're going to end up with problems again. And right. then once I say, okay, I see that he's doing this, then I bring another puppy in the pen, and I still feed him from my hand. And if the other puppy yeah. comes up, I take my other hand and feed him. So I'm the pup's understanding that, okay, this isn't so bad. I don't have to guard my food. He gets some, I get some. It's a process. Right. It's a process. I would say... For me, you're looking at three to six weeks. That's a fair mm-hmm. assessment. It could be done faster if the dog smarts and pick up on it. And his threshold for that aggression may be small, too. Like, yeah. he may do this a time or two and be come right out of it. You know, you may have yeah. a dog that's a little bit more determined and, and stuff, so it may take him a little longer. So food aggression, if you work on food aggression – your chances for the aggression on through the dog stage of life is going to be less and less. I'm not going to say it won't be there because I'll tell you, okay, I, I worked on it. I don't have no food aggression issues, but at the tree, you know, two years later, you see something come out. Well, he said this. No, I didn't. Like every dog's different. Every, right. every situation, every scenario, everything's different, but you can help your, you can help yourself mentally think that I've done everything I can to prevent this right. type of behavior, which is aggression. Doing these sort of things, stack the deck in our favor that it will never be the problem, but it's no guarantee. Correct. Because, yeah. again, things happen. He may have been punched in the nose one too many times, and he can't take it. We don't you know, we don't know if we're right. not there. Right. So resource guarding, which I consider um, possessive and aggressive aggressiveness, and if I see that, if I see it out of any of my dogs – I take food from them immediately. And if I bought this dog from somebody else and I've got this problem, I do the same thing with them. And I spend time mm-hmm. with them. Like I said, I sit on my five-gallon bucket inside their pen and I feed them. It's, you know, if it's raining outside, then I go ahead and put food on the ground. Of course, my pens have all got concrete in them, so I'm not dumping it in the mm-hmm. dirt. But I put the food on the ground and I spread it out where – you know, they've got to work for it a little bit because I don't want to stand out in the rain. So there's ways around this um, if you just sure. want to put the time into it. Yeah, yeah. So let's transfer that over to um, maybe at the tree, you know, because that, that's a possessive possessive type thing too. Yeah, the two. Uh, the t- we, we, we've did all, we did all the work, you know, when we brought this dog home. We saw a little bit of food aggression, and and we fed from the hand and stuff like that. Four years later, two years later, whatever it is, and boom, you know you've got a you've got a situation at the tree. We'll be right back after we get this quick word from our sponsor. Briar Creek Kennels is your complete hound hunting outfitter: boots, lights, collars, and tracking equipment, dog boxes, kennel supplies, collars, clothes, squalors. Whoo! They have it all. Briar Creek Kennel is a Garmin and Dogtra dealer. 
owner Chris Girth will ensure Briar Creek Kennel customers will get top of the industry customer service. Whether you purchase from their website or you find them at a major coonhound event, Chris and his staff will share expert knowledge and experience about every product they offer. Chris Girth is a top competitor and breeder of hounds. He knows what gear you need to be successful. Look for Briar Creek Kennels on the web for a complete online store or look at their fully stocked trailer at any major coonhound event. Briar Creek Kennels, offering a hound hunting public generations of excellence. Houndsman XP is very proud of our partnership with the organization Freedom Hunters. Freedom Hunters is a nonprofit organization that takes America's veterans hunting from field to field, from the battlefield to a field near you when you volunteer your time to take America's warriors hunting with you and your hounds. It's easy. Go to houndsmanxp.com, click on the partnership tab, and it will take you to Freedom Hunters. You can go direct to their website to make donations at freedomhunters.org. Support America's heroes. Let's pay it back. Visit Freedom Hunters at freedomhunters.org or go to houndsmanxp.com and you can find them on our website from field to field. So going back to, to prior conditioning, most aggression problems manifest. They're there. They're there. You've seen a little sign. We've seen another sign and we didn't address it to do, to redirect that behavior. And then like you said, two, three years later, here we have a problem. So that would be the first thing that I would say to everybody is most aggression issues manifest. They build up over time. And we see, we should see signs of it. What are some of those signs that you as a professional trainer with your knowledge that you're looking for? And, And I think it's important to talk about the nonverbal cues, you know, because by the time we get to the growl, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're yeah. being verbal at that point. What are some of the things that you are looking for through the trained eye that, that other people should start paying attention to? Well, I look at my dog's body behavior. I mean, we know, you may have just said it, you know, 80% of a dog's communication is nonverbal. You know, was I raising my ha- my hacks up? Was the hair standing up over my withers? You know, did my ear set change? You know, floppy-eared dogs are a little harder to read than a than a, um, a pointy-eared dog. But mm-hmm. I can still see that ear set. If that ear set slides back to the back of their skull, most of the time that's fearful. And you can mm-hmm. see that. You can say, okay. And then that fear will bring aggression if the dog don't have an escape route. And we got, that goes back to your social stuff that I need space. Um, right. So I, I watch for body language. I mean, I watch... You know, does my dog posture? And what I mean is, does my dog stand up on his front legs and kind of tuck that chest out? You know, does he give a, a stiff, hard look at a dog? You know, we know that when we're doing our police dogs, you know, staring a dog down is a an act of um, communication that says, here I am, come and get me. So is that dog doing that to another animal? You know, I'm, I'm yeah. watching his body language is basically it. And all you good houndsmen out there, you know before your dog's going to strike a track because you see that dog either working the air 
and working this or your dog's body language, that tail starts starts making those circles or starts going up over his back. If you can read that behavior, you can read this these type of behaviors too. You know, maybe you're just not paying attention to it, but I look what at about body. Yawn? What about a dog that yawns? Well, that's stress. Now, mm-hmm. have what kind of stress? I mean, it could be a lot of different types of, of stress. But when that dog yawns, he's probably in a, a stressful situation. And then, in fact, I had this happen yesterday in training. I'm, you know, I'm running mm-hmm. the detection school for track tech detection and tracking school for seven new dogs right now. And we were trying to we're imprinting a new pointer. And the pointer had had run the circuit that we were trying to get him to run to imprint him. So basically all we do is we run him by odor. When he gives us a, a behavior change, maybe just a head pop, boom, well, he gets his reward. Well, he didn't right. understand what was going on, and he had run him and run him and run him. About the fourth or fifth time, this dog just gives a huge yawn, just, ah. And I was like, put him up. And he looked at me, and I said, no, he's stressing. Put him up. Give him a 15-minute break. We'll bring him back. But if you see mm-hmm. that yawn, that yawn's a huge telltale. That yeah. dog is either stressed or in a stressful situation. Mm-hmm. And if the dog don't know how to, and we 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 as humans say cope, but if that dog does not know how to um, navigate the situation, he may go back to fearful aggression mm-hmm. or defense aggression. Right. And those are kind of both the same. You know, I'm going to get defensive when I don't know what to do. So if you see a yawn, a yawn is a huge, huge telltale. And, you know, uh, thinking about it over the last hunting season or two, I've seen my puppies do it a time or two when I was transporting them on long trips. Mm-hmm. But I haven't seen my older dogs do that. So it's kind of curious that you say that because I've noticed it with my younger dogs, but not my older dogs. But yes, that's a thing that you should watch for is the yawn. One one thing that the thing that brought that up is I've seen this before. You've got this you've got this older hound out there, and maybe they're just out in the yard with you that day, and you decide to turn a pup or two out with them. You know this this older hound. You've never had a problem with them. They're super laid back. You feel very confident, and as he's laying there in the sun, and the puppies are jumping on him and stuff, you know he kind of looks at you and gives you this big yawn. Ah. You know, for me, that's a sign that I need to remove the puppies from the situation so that I don't give them a bad experience and I don't trigger a bad reaction to that behavior. Yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, that that old dog knows what's coming already. Yep. He knows, yep. like, oh, Lord, here we go. You know, <laughs> Bonnie and Clyde's going to be bouncing on my head here in a minute, and I'm just going to have to get up and move. And I don't want to have to deal with it. So, yeah, I mean, the dog knows. But back to what you were saying about the tree, um, and we had talked about this before, I look at possessiveness of the tree, and I looked at redirected frustration. Yeah. And redirected frustration is when, and a good example of that would be dogs running the tree, you know, up and down, up and down, up and down. And that one dog is there focused on the game or what he's supposed to be doing. And that dog starts bouncing on top of him, bouncing on top of him. And all of a sudden that dog, the tree dog, reaches over and yanks yanks the dog that's bouncing. Um, he's, he's redirecting his frustration because he's tired of it. And he wants to get here and he can't. So right. that's, that's a redirected frustration more so. 
Um, and then what happens when you have that, that dog yanks and then, you know, the other dog's like, oh, I ain't having none of this. And he comes back and you end up in a dog fight, especially for us big game hunters. You know, we've know, we know when we see this, we can't have that because then all of a sudden you've got five, six, seven dogs piling on the one that's on the ground. And the next thing you know, you have a dead dog at the tree and that's just yeah. not acceptable. So right. the redirect, redirected frustration can turn into a mess. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the possessiveness, the possessiveness of the tree, again, we go back to the food. If you're seeing it at the food, you're probably going to see it up through there. But if I start working on it at the food, then I have a better chance of changing that behavior at the tree because the dog would understand that it's okay that I have three or four buddies here. This is a party and we're all invited. Right. So yeah, the possessiveness at the tree rolls back to the the food stuff I, and is that the, is that the only way to work on that problem it's not there are several other different ways that people can work on it but it's so hard for and that's, i think that's why people are so quick to just call dogs that are rough at the tree is because it's time consuming and in my mind even in my mind do i trust does I trust that dog to be sitting in there for two hours with five more of my dogs and mm-hmm. know that he's not going to cause a problem? Right. Now, right. the GPSs are helping us. When you see that one dog back off the tree and another dog's with him, we can pretty much put two and two together and see, what, see what's happening there. Yeah. But, Let yeah. me ask you this. Do you think, do you think all of this, all of this, singling young dogs out we take them out we hunt them by themselves we don't want them hunting with anything else that's a common practice in the coon hunting world so everything is centered around this one dog and then we haul them to town for their first hunt and they they end up treeing with a dog that covers and now they don't know how to handle that social situation a lot of a lot of our coon hunters only have one dog at the house you know it's the dog they're hunting and and, um, so do you think that could be an outlying cause to some aggression? Yes. Is it a social aggression or a possessive aggression? It could be either or at that point, because, mm-hmm. you know, you're invading my space and then how, how much am I willing, how much, how much, how much teeth am I willing to sink into my, to my space? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, most of the time, the social aggression is is going to be if the dog that that's non non aggressive causes it, and we, we can we can we can go over that at the box um, by yeah. stepping on a dog or something. But yes, it could be a social issue or possessiveness. I'm just thinking about about this, you know, this this dog that everything's been about him. Uh, when he trees, we go in there, we shine the tree, might be giving him plenty of coon and, and he's never had to deal with another dog being around him, but we've conditioned him that when he trees, man, I'm going to get my reward. This is, it's coming. And now we throw another strange dog into it and he's just figured out that I might have to share. And so it's, it's like the little spoiled kid that grows, you know, a single, single child type thing that that gets everything they ever wanted and then you the neighbors bring their kids over and you expect your kid to share 
Yeah. I, well, then that turns into the possessiveness. Yep. You yep. know, you're not taking yep. my, my lollipop. I'm keeping yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. So it turns it turns into a possessiveness. But we had discussed a couple yes, ways for these young dogs to, to be to be introduced to that environment without putting them in that situation. You want to takes me right into the the last segment that I think we can talk about, you know, how do we fix it? How do we avoid it? And I think in this situation, if we do things early on, we can avoid the whole situation and then we don't have to fix anything. So, well, it definitely helps. That's for sure. Yeah. 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 So, you know, the, the main thing I can think of is just don't put your dogs in situations where they're going to fail. You know, if we're setting them up for failure, that's bad for people. That's bad for dogs. One of the things that I do, you know, puppies around here, if they feel like going hunting, they're running loose at the house. If they feel like going with me when I go, go hunting from the house, then they go. But when the dogs get treed in there, when a dog gets treed, I always reach down and snap a leash on them and lead them into the tree. That way I'm in control of that whole situation. They can go, they can see what's going on. They get tied back. Uh, they can, there's a lot of benefits to a, a dog learning visually. So as they're tied back and I'm up there and I might be petting this other dog or giving them some sort of a reward, they can see that. But that way they are never in there underfoot. They're not able to grab the older hound's ears. Uh, you know, they don't get a chance to, to, be the typical juvenile and show some aggressive body posturing or anything like that and cause a problem. Yeah. I mean, I, I think exactly what you're saying is, you know, I've got two old dogs treed in there and I turn loose a pup and that pup wants to go in there and he's, he just got invited to the party. Hey, we're all yep. having a party, but he don't know yep. what, what's going on. He didn't know how to act. Right. He don't know because he's never been at this party and then yep. he's f jumping and failing all over the older dogs and, <laughs> Again, I don't know their threshold. I don't know their tolerance level. But right. then the old dog run around and, you know, comes around and, and yanks him just to get him off of him. And then that dog just had a bad experience at that tree. Does that later on cause me an issue when a dog starts face barking or yawling at the tree and then that dog just says, hey, wait a second, I remember this because it didn't feel good. Bam, he comes right back around. That is a prior conditioning that we have caused from and i'm not gonna say improper handling because we've all done it absolutely it's, it's just uh a, we could we can deduce that by doing things a little differently by leading mm -hmm. that dog into the tree when he's younger and then you, you know then you get into the argument well how's my dog supposed to learn how to run a tree if he's not doing it you know a time or two of watching yeah, and learning will do you more good than the two and three months of of that happening later you know later on yeah and i yeah. had a i had an old feller tell me one time who you know gave me a lot of good advice and, and i mean dale cameron you know numerous conversations with dale you know dale said those dogs never went to the woods until they was running a tree in their self mm -hmm. you know never went into a pack and that way they knew what was going on and they didn't have they didn't have problems. And I look at that now and I'm well just what I said, I'm like, you know, he may have not known what he was doing as far as why, you know, like yeah. he may have known, but he didn't tell me. That's the 
that's the amazing thing about the older houndsmen. They don't have the PhDs and the, yeah. you know, the hours of training and stuff like that. They figured it out on their they own. They had the years of experience. Uh-huh. And yep. experience yep. goes a long way. And yes. I but mean, there's a lot of guys that have been hunting for 30 years that still have mean dogs. It seems like they've always got the mean dog and they, they can't figure out why. You well, know, it's probably something that, you know, it's probably something that they're doing. There's a pre, there's a, there's a, a conditioning to that dog that, whether it's beknownst to them or not, or something that's going on or not, it's something going on there to cause that if it's a reoccurring offense. If it's happening and happening and happening, you got to stand back and go, wait a second, why is this happening? Mm-hmm. And let's we- talk about let's talk about correcting bad behavior. I, we had this conversation. It just intrigued me. Yeah. But uh, I think every one of us, if you've got a dog tied up there and and you hear a growl out of that dog, Every one of us, automatic. I mean, it's default aggressive, and we step in there and we give them a smack on the nose. Talk about that. It's just a natural reaction for us. Growl, mm-hmm. bam! You're not doing that. But right. let's let's break down the growl. The growl is so good for us. And you're like, what are you talking about? Growling's not a no. It's it's not. But if I understand. When the when I hear the growl, my brain goes to not pop that automatically. See what's going on to cause the growl. Is a dog right. crowding his space? Is a dog making him uncomfortable? Is a dog challenging him? You know mm-hmm. what's going on to make that dog give you a verbal verbal warning that yeah. I'm not okay with what's going on. Now, if this is a puppy and he's growling over food, bam pop to the nose and we move on because that's not acceptable because I'm going to turn into possessive behavior. Right. Okay. But the growl can tell you so many things. If you'll just step back and look, just give yourself 30 seconds. All right. What's going on? Why is this happening? And a lot of times if you correct the growl, you're actually causing more problems because you've just shut this dog down when this dog was trying to tell you, Hey dad, this dog is is in my space. He's, <laughs> he's somewhere he don't belong, and I'm telling him to go away. And now I just got knocked in the nose for it. Right. And I'm that's right. that's very minute. I'm just making an example up. But sure. yes, growling is a behavior that we all should step back and say, okay, what's causing it? Real quick, what's going on here? Is this dog posturing at him? Is this dog trying to take his food? Is this dog invading his space? What's going on? And then Man, I've had I've had some real train wrecks out there. You know, you tie dogs up too close together and you're busy looking at whatever shining a tree or looking at a bear or whatever it is. You tied them up too close together to begin with because I put them in a bad situation. And now they're they're all lamped up at the tree and they're they're tangled up. And so it's just a verbal reaction that, hey, you know, you're not supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to be here. I want to get away from you. And that's an indicator, you know, that that's something that I created. And yep, we, we created a social aggression because another dog is in their space. Yeah, And if, if, if every time your dog does something that we see as a, as aggressive behavior, and I don't care which type of aggression it is, if we are hard handed on this dog, every time we are more than likely going to make the problem worse because every time that this dog comes around me, 
I get corrected. And, and, and correction is a negative, a negative correction. I get a negative correction every time this dog gets around me. And next time, I'm not going to give it a chance. I'm going to go get it. So more than likely, you may be causing this problem to be worse than what it is. And dogs are smart. They cheat the system. The dog's probably going to start being sneaky then. And then you got a whole different side, different issues of problems. Um, but the growl, guys, if you'll take that growl and say, okay, take that as, you know, it's, it's a human being saying, I don't like this. That's what it is. A dog's version of us saying, I don't like this. See what's causing it before you step in to correct it. Because it may not be your dog, the growling, the growling dog may not be the one that you need to correct. Exactly. It may, it may be the other dog that's doing it's something just like, that's causing it. It's like the old adage. You know, it's like it's like being in a football game and somebody gets gets called for unsportsmanlike conduct. It's usually the guy that, that pushed, pushed the other player. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he didn't just walk up and push him for no reason. You know, he just he just acted out in a way that wasn't appropriate, so he got the flag. And I used to do that. I used to see this, uh, you know, competition hunting. There's a lot of problems with when you tie a dog out. I always tried to find some place out of the way, and and when I'm letting a dog air out, because a few things can happen. If you go in there and you run up and you tie him four feet away from another dog, and they don't know that dog, and now you've got the social aggression thing, and the and they're you know establishing dominance there. When other people see that, you're automatically going to be People are going to walk away and say, man, Chris is hunting a rough dog. That He's he's hunting a rough dog. You better watch him. You drew him on a cast. That's a hard thing to overcome. So a lot of times if we can just tie him in a space and then look and make sure that we're not putting that dog in a bad situation is so helpful on so many levels. Yeah, it's like you said earlier. Just try not to put them in a situation where they're going to do this stuff. Um, you know, you and I were down at Grand America, and we were walking around the 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 sale lot or whatever you want to call it, and all those dogs. Right. And you just you just when you said that, it just brought this to my attention. the The second day we were there, Maddie and I were walking around, and there was this dog that was tied in the middle of one of these lots or tieouts or whatever. And this dog was staring down a dog across the way, barking aggressively. That's the type of aggression that I'm looking at, and I see that behavior. And yeah. I, I, not, I noted to myself, I was like, yeah, you, you don't want to touch that on one. It. Yeah, don't want to touch that one. <laughs> oh, I thought maybe <laughs> yeah, you took I know. <laughs> yeah, I didn't make no offer. But, I mean, it's just little things like that. Like I said, when you said right. that, that, that vision just popped in my head. I was like, oh, yeah, I just seen that the other day. So, yeah. But it's things yeah. like that. And, and that, like I said, there's a lot of different types of aggressions. You know, be careful how you handle it because you may be getting on the dog that is not the one that started it or is is at fault for it. Mm-hmm. Um, we should go over the box real quick. I do. I was going to go there. I wanted to go back to the box and yep. talk about that situation, the social aggression in the box. Yeah. So, and you know, we, we all have, we've all had dogs growling in a box and stuff. Most of the time, well, you know, when I was coon hunting and running, I had a four-dog box. You could put two in each side. Mm-hmm. And 
a lot of times strange dogs will cause that growl <laughs> because, hey, you know, it's like me, you know, putting a stranger in a, a closet with you. How, how would you feel about it? You know, you'd <laughs> right. be a little uneasy about it at first. Um, right. And then, you know, dogs get uh, conditioned to it. I mean, if you're if you're running, <laughs> you know, hunts all the time, you know, the dogs get used to different dogs coming in and out, in and out, in and out. So that's a, con- that's, we've conditioned that dog to, de- we've dens- desensitized him. And desensitized is a big word when you talk about ag- aggression. But um, one of the things that I see a lot with, with the big game hunting and us hunting with, a, you know, with a pack, you know, I carry, I usually carry six dogs with me most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that'll be a couple older dogs and, you know, usually two young dogs or two puppies. Puppies, when I say puppies, I'm saying a year, you know, a year to two years old, a year. I don't like hunting that much younger than that. But what happens is we've had a long race. It's hot out, and our older dogs get a little bit sore. Maybe they got a little beat up. You know, they were on a on a, on a uh, maybe a little tougher bear. We put them in the box at the end of the day, and then, you know, we cram another dog or two, and they're on top of them, and they're stepping on them. The dog's sore. He don't want, you know, he don't want this. And that's where some of that, that social aggression will come in. Like, you know, mm-hmm. the dog will reach up and, and grab the dog because he'll, he'll usually growl first. You hear the growl yeah. coming. You yeah. hear the chainsaw. And, you know, the and right. that's usually a longer growl. You'll hear it. And then, like I said, if the dog continues on, then you've got a tussle in the box. So that is tough because you've got to understand that the dogs are usually tired, worn out, and sore. It would just it would be like us going out and playing football and getting beat up and then getting on the bus. You know, so yeah. you have to you have to kind of think through that and fighting is not acceptable at any point in time and we all should should have that mentality that it's right. not acceptable. But social aggression, that's what's happening there is the dog's not getting his space. You know, we talked about social and space. But let's talk about puppies and problems uh, that we cause down the road with this with the box. Yeah, yeah. So, and I'm just going to use you as an example. I drive to Indiana. I drive eight hours to your house. I pick up a pup. That's be the best know, thing you ever did. <laughs> if I can paint it white. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I'll just pick it. Um, I pick up a puppy from you at ten weeks old. I I shove it in a box and I drive it eight hours home. Mm-hmm. I get it out, and usually the dog is pretty traumatized. And we've seen this. If you've handled dogs long enough, that dog's crouched up in the back of the box. He don't want to come out. We reach in the box, we grab him by the collar, and we pull him out, and we bring him into this new environment. And one of the worst things we can do is have our dogs just overwhelm him, mm-hmm. because then that's when you see the ears go. The ears go back. The white of the eyes. When you see that white of the eyes, that's a huge fear. That's a fear, and yeah. that's that's not a good sign. That dog just had a traumatic experience, and the box was bad. The experience when he got home was bad, and you put him in fear mode, and then dogs react out of fear. Which if something right. something gets too close to him, they're going to snap because they don't they don't know how to handle this situation. They've never been in it because he's a puppy, and then. Then we twist that over to, okay, I've had this puppy here for a week, and it's bear season, so I'm gonna take this. This we're gonna change the age of the pup. We're gonna change. No, it. let's let's keep it at ten weeks old. I'm just gonna let him ride along so that he understands what oh. it's, he's gonna be doing this the rest of his life. 
Might as well get him started now. You know, I've seen that. I have seen it's people way do too that. Young, but we'll, we'll yes. roll with it. <laughs> it's way too young, but we'll roll with it. Yeah. So I put him in the box with the, the strange dogs that about, in his mind, was about to eat him up, which they weren't. But yeah. in his mind, this is his perception. I throw him back in the box. He goes back to the end of the box. And, you know, Ellie Mae down here, she just wants to say, hey, I'm a, I'm going to see who you are. And she runs her nose back there in his face. And the next thing you know, he's grabbed the side of her head because he's fearful. Right. You put him in a situation that he is not prepared for. And yep. this dog is not going to hunt for you until he is comfortable and he is he is okay with what's going on. Mm-hmm. Even if you run that into an older dog. Well, in fact, I have a perfect example because I have one right down here in my pen. Um, my little Kate female. She, first couple times, turned her loose in the woods, couldn't be caught. And I got yeah. her home, started working her with food, building that trust, building that bond. I went to feeding her in the box. I would feed her in the box, and I'd leave the door open. I'm not trapping her. I'd leave the door open, and as soon as she would eat, man, bam, out of that box. Well, you have to realize that this dog was hauled from Oregon to Virginia, which was like a Mm -hmm. three-day trip, which ended up being a four-day trip because of the other drops. She was raised at this place by Mike Kemp. She was raised with him. She was adjusted to to the living style there. She was put in a van and hauled with these strange men that she didn't know. Then she was brought to my house, and the box was not a good thing for her. And I told people that they was ready to take her hunting, and I said, she's not ready. They're like, what do you mean she's not ready? I said, she's not ready to be hauled around yet. Well, I mm-hmm. don't know what you mean. She was not ready. She was Every time she'd get in that box, she was like, I mean, telling you, she would... Let me out of here. Superman out of that thing. Bam. Yeah. Out, out, out. So it took me about two weeks to get her where she'd go in the box and relax. Mm-hmm. And then when she got in the box and relaxed, I hauled her to the trash dump, which is two and a half miles from my house, and I brought her <laughs> home and I let her out. And I'd right. done that for another week or two. And after a month, she was ready to go hunting. But yeah. you have to understand that that those dogs were not ready. And, I, and I'm not talking about the box or training. I'm just talking about the fear, the fear that she had of being in that box. And it was called. If you would have crammed other dogs in on top of her at that point, you would have had a problem. I could have very likely. Potential. Potentially. Yes, absolutely. Potentially. But I, I yeah, could so. see by her actions that this was, she was not ready to do this. But, but right. we, we go back to the box. We're in a box. Dogs, most of the time, it's going to be a socialization, a so, not a socialization, but a social issue because they're crammed in there and they don't have the space. Guys, remember, space is everything to a dog. The dog can get out of the yep. way. He has an option to leave. And we have a box. They don't have that option. They're confined to an area, and there's no escape route. And that's why you you have a lot of you will you can you you can have problems in the box. Right. And most of it right. is after a hunt. After a hunt with dogs are tired and they get stepped on or laid on and they're not okay with it. Like I said, yeah. my box holds 10 dogs easily. I carry six in it. There's right. all three dogs and both sides can stretch out and I don't have that problem. And that's, I try to keep it there because of that. And then, mm-hmm. you know, let's talk, let's go back to a coon hunter that's 
that's traveling around and you know i've I've been on these hunts i've drew out with these guys and say hey man you're going to have to drive your truck because you can't put nothing in a box with mine right i've already scratching my head and thinking if i can't put him in a box with you is he going to be okay outside but now with the experience that i've gained through the police side of training and i understand that okay it may be just confined space but i'm still going to keep my eyes and ears and listen for what's going well, that on. was going to be one of my takeaways okay so when i go to a hunt you know uh, when i was going to competition hunts especially the bigger events it's not uncommon for you know you draw the cast and you're standing there and people say hey you know i rode with my buddy he's driving his truck do you mind if i ride and you might have two or three guys in the cast like that well my rule of thumb always was sure you can ride but there's only one dog riding in my side of the box my dog's in the box He's going to ride in there. If all the rest of you want to cram three dogs in the other side, that's up to you. Uh, you're more than welcome. But I'm just not going to set my dog up and put him in that situation. If they go in there in that box and they have a problem in that box at the clubhouse, you might as well just withdraw right there because chances are you're going to have problems the rest of the night. You know, sure. we're, we're taking taking a dog, putting him in that situation. We, we just created a situation. I just avoid it. I just... No reason to do it. If we're bear hunting and we, we, you know, we walk through somewhere and I hate, I hate boxes that are one door in the back and they're all open in the inside where you can't, can't segment your dogs off. My dog, your dogs don't know my dog and my dog doesn't know your dog. So therefore we are forcing them into a situation. A social they, situation. That's social. Right. They could trigger, you could trigger, um, you know, the anxiety and the fear and everything. They don't know. Your dogs in your side of the box, they've had that all worked out. They know that this dog's here and this dog's here. You put another dog in there, a strange dog, they don't know where they're supposed to be. And now they got to find their spot. And the other dogs are going to teach him. So I just, I try to avoid it. Every chance I get, I try to avoid it. Yeah, and I mean, that's that's a good practice. I mean, it's a really good practice. And, you know, I'm... You've been, you know, you've hunted. I'm, I'm very particular. You know, you're particular about the way we do our dogs and how we do things. And I try my hardest to not put them in situations that I have any doubt about. And yeah, I mean, for the most part, my dogs are pretty laid back. But right. again, they've got a threshold and they've got a limit. And yeah. you know, I think I think we've given you know your listeners some some information some different types of aggression where you see it at what it is and with aggression you've got to redirect it to the behavior that you want it's all about switching behavior mm -hmm. um, and you know we had talked about this before and i'm gonna i'm gonna throw this out there as houndsmen you know we take the dog the dog's genetic ability to run to trail to tree and that's what we train on we really probably don't spend the time that that we need to on the behavioral issues. We're looking mm -hmm. at the genetic training issues. And I've got, you know, 16 guys around me that are handlers. They're canine handlers. They're not trainers. Right. And when they have a behavioral problem, they may see the problem, but they'll they'll come to me and say, hey, what about this? What do you think about this? How do you fix this? Because they're not they're not trainers and i'm not 
I don't know that I'm rolling this in there. It's not. It's not a slide against them. No. That's they. They're looking for. You're the trainer. They're the handler. I think we see the same thing in a lot of houndsmen. Uh, We've got a lot of hunters out there. Man, there's guys out there that hunt a whole lot harder than I do. I mean, no doubt about it. I I'm, I can't keep up with them anymore. Uh, and they're they're all gung-ho. But they're also sometimes not the – they're not dog psychologists. They don't have those years of experience and and learning behind them to see some of the things that we might see. One of the things I've learned over the – the past 18 years as being a canine handler for a department is things are always evolving and I'm always learning better ways to do things. Mm, yeah, and absolutely. Just because I have a title as a, as a master trainer does not mean that I know everything. And my theories and practices may be outdated and they may be completely wrong in today's environment. And I need to learn to adapt and be open-minded to be able to take new ways in and try them and see if they work. And I think if, if all dog handlers will do that, they will probably reach a level of success that they didn't think they would reach or they never imagined that they would get there. Is you got to have an open mind. I'll tell you a guy, and we'll wrap this up, but uh, shout out a guy I met down there in Virginia while I was down there was Gus Underwood. You know, Gus is a hard hunting guy. He is go, you know, I mean, the guy's just hardcore. But I also watched how he handled dogs and his demeanor around dogs. I learn stuff from guys like that when I'm around them. You know, it's not just simply. He's laid back. Like, he don't get excited. Like, he just don't, you know, he's he's, he's an old country boy raised on a farm, helps his granddad with the, the cattle. Like, he's very, very mellow. Yeah. And that shows in his dogs. Yeah. He's built like a lumberjack. <laughs> he doesn't have to be mellow. He's yeah. he's got that red hair thing going on, so you know he's he he can bring it if he needs to. You just don't want to push him there. But but I just watch guys like that. It's several several houndsmen. I've always I've said this before on the podcast. The only thing the only thing you've got to do to gain years of experience is keep waking up. You know? Just because you've been doing it for, just because I've been doing it for thirty years, doesn't mean I can't learn something from somebody that's been doing it five. It was hard for me to learn that. It was hard. I, yeah. you know, young the younger me, you know, was hard headed, and seen some old older guys that are no longer hunting with success, and I tried to mimic what they did, and they had really good dogs, and they had handles on their dogs. But as I've evolved with, especially you know with. The, uh, the law enforcement side of training it's opened up a whole new perspective for me and i still not yep. perfected it but i'm going to try every day to make it better that's right that's right well heath i think we did a good job of introducing people to aggression gave them some things to think about and um you know maybe maybe gave some people some some takeaways of of not putting your dogs in the situation to begin with and and I think we're going to get a lot of feedback on this podcast and people are going to ask questions and we can build off of it. All right. Well, uh, I mean, I hope, it, I hope, I hope everybody takes away something from it. If you take away one thing, then you've gained some, some bit of knowledge. Yep. Yep. I appreciate you sharing your experience and your knowledge, Heath. It's always fun. All right. All right. Till next time you follow your hands. I'll follow mine.